Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Nate, hey man, it's Luke Bronner. Hey, what's up, Luke? What's going on, man? You're kind of a huge Jim Carrey fan, yeah? Oh, yes. Very much more than I probably should be in my 39 years. So, did you know that 30 years ago this week was the release of one of his early and really terrible films, Earth Girls Are Easy? Yeah, with Steve Gutenberg? No, with Jeff Goldblum and Damon Wayans. Did you like it? Oh, we loved it. Now, I can't speak to what I would think of it now in 2019, but it's, I remember that Darcy and I loved Earth Girls Are Easy. It's so bad. I made it exactly 36 minutes in before I just couldn't take it anymore. Well, I'll have you know that in the next 10 days, I will be finding a way to watch Earth Girls Are Easy just because of this nostalgia factor, which I guess is what 30 Pop's all about, man. That's right. I'm going to start the show now. Awesome. Have a good one, bud. See ya. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 1, Episode 13, Bon Jovi, Gene, and White Limousine. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, May 13, 1989. Hello friends, welcome to episode 13 of 30 Pop. 30 years ago this week, once again for the fourth straight week, the number one album on the Billboard charts was, rightfully, Like a Prayer, from the queen of 80s and 90s pop, Madonna. But we did finally get a new top single on the charts. The riff-laden monster ballad, I'll Be There For You, by the walking, talking, chest-bearing Aquanet ad that is Bon Jovi. I get that these guys were a big deal and that this song was a huge hit, and this will probably alienate my listeners between the ages of 40 and 50, but I'm just really not into Bon Jovi, with the exception of exactly three songs, and this is not one of them. I just don't get it. Another artist I was not a fan of as a kid, but who I've actually grown to love as an adult, released an album this week in 1989, the artist Dolly Parton, and the album White Limousine. I sat down this week with my friend Haley Durrett, and my new friend, her mom, Sherry, to talk about it. Haley and Sherry, welcome to 30 Pop. So glad to have you both on today. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. You are our first parent-child duo on the show. So it's exciting. I'm proud of it. Well, it's because we're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are. Okay, so Sherry, you and I have only just met. Yes. How old were you 30 years ago this week? I was 23 years old. 23 years old. So you were a little younger than your daughter is today. Yes. We're going to come back to that. But what we want to talk about today, 30 years ago this week, I think, I've seen conflicting reports on Wikipedia, was the release of Dolly Parton's album, White Limousine, spelled L-I-M-O-Z-E-E-N, which just 
makes me crazy. <laughs> it's a true classic. White limousine. It <laughs> is, though. It really is. So I re-listened to the album this morning, and it really is a great country record. I would agree. I would agree. I had not heard of it, actually, until <laughs> today, and I have been jamming on it. Yeah, but you recognized songs. Yes, there were a few songs on there. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize this. Big, big single. The first single on the record, Why'd You Come In Here? Yeah. So good. The music video for which is ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, I watched it last night. Nice. Oh, I was preparing. <laughs> I have not seen that yet. Oh, you'd love it. But I think I'm going to go back. I, actually, I think I will continue listening to this album for a little while longer yeah. just because I really connected with some of the songs and really enjoyed listening to them. Yeah. Which songs specifically do you remember? Uh, the Moon and the Stars. Okay. I thought that was really good. Yellow Roses. I started singing along halfway through the song. I was like, I don't even know this song. Yeah, that was another huge single. So you maybe you know it subconsciously. It was the second single on the record. It was a number one single. I mean, it was huge, huge and, song. Yeah. And of course, my background, I totally remember He's Alive. I mean, that it, <laughs> oh, that's like blast from the past. So good. Oh my gosh. Good in, good in the best, worst so, way. So this is actually yes. a great way for me to introduce a brand new segment on the show. It's a segment called Truly Horrible Things. <laughs> So this segment is brought to us actually by a company called Truly Horrible Things. They produce card games for groups of people that are really fun and a little bit inappropriate if you're playing the director's cut version of them. TrulyHorribleThings.com. It's really, really wonderful. But what we're going to do in this segment every time we talk about Truly Horrible Things are things that are so bad they're good. They're wonderful because they're so bad. And there's so much of that when we get nostalgic. So let's talk about <laughs> He's Alive. Ah, uh, so Great. It is the most Southern Baptist <laughs> yes. Easter <laughs> absolutely song I've ever heard in my life. Yes. And I just can only imagine how many churches were leading this song in their worship services. It oh, is yeah. so bad. Oh, for sure throughout the 90s. <laughs> and now we've got all these cowboy churches out there right. that like you know they're still doing this song. This is the Easter hit has to be. It has to be. And they're literally called the Cowboy Church, yeah. so for sure. Yeah. But as we were listening to it on the way, Brant said, my husband said, my dad, this song is so dramatic. <laughs> it's like, yes. It's so over the top. <laughs> it's so dramatic. And not only that, but it's like the imagery when I was listening to it, because I'd never heard it before today. And I was like, so imagining the whole sort of Passion Week story <laughs> with Dolly Parton being one of the people who, yes. you know, was... I mean, I just love it, though. I really do. I just think there's something about Dolly not taking herself too seriously, but also taking herself too seriously in a way that she feels like she's in on the joke about he's alive. You think so? <laughs> I I think she's dead serious. I really song. do. Yeah, I do okay. too. I think she's totally, Maybe totally I, in it. She's taking everything too seriously at that <laughs> At this Maybe point, I hold her in too high of esteem, but I, I might. So I do too. And so like, it's hard for me to criticize anything she does. And I really, really wanted to because of the misspelled name of the album. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> this song is just over the top. Totally. Oh, I love it. Totally I love it. I remember when it first came out and just hearing that and being like, Oh, this is so amazing. You know? <laughs> my, I don't even know. When was the song originally uh, released? And who was the original? Yeah, because it's a cover. Don Francisco is the writer. Oh, yeah. He did dramatic songs for sure mm -hmm. in the 80s. So mm -hmm. when Christian music was at its really starting, it's just curve upward. That was when I think this song came out. And we were like, oh, the song is so amazing and so you know, heartfelt and, of course, dramatic, but you totally felt like he's alive kind of a thing. And so... Truly, truly horrible. 
It's funny that you mention Christian music in association with this and like other Christian stuff. I looked up the writers of Why'd You Come In Here Looking Like yes, That. This is what no I was way. just about to say. No. <laughs> Do you know? Are you, you don't know? No. Bob Carlyle. Butterfly Kisses Bob. Oh. No way. No way. Which, Butterfly like, Kisses Bob Carlyle yep. wrote that song. Which, that is crazy. The first with, song that ever with, brought me to tears. With Randy Thomas, who also co-wrote Butterfly Kisses. Oh. It is the Butterfly Kisses team. Yes. That released Dolly's biggest single, which is, so this whole record is really, really funny to me in that, so apparently I was doing some research and a couple of years earlier, she had released an album called Rainbows that was just a total flop. This is her 29th solo studio album, which is crazy to me. She was 43 years old or something like that when she released this. Wow. 29 albums, but she had started trying to alternate between pop albums and country albums. Hmm. And I think Rainbows was the first of those pop albums, and it just completely flopped. So she was the original Taylor Swift. Mm, that's interesting. Don't tell Taylor. <laughs> okay, so I'm curious on this album, White Limousine, why she would put He's Alive on there. That's what I kept wondering. I was like, why is this even on here? I mean... Pandering. It, yeah, it's 1989. <laughs> well, true. true. You had to have an element of Jesus in everything. Was that when Amy Grant was also doing her kind of jump over? Uh, or that more that than was 1991. Yeah, okay. I think so it was the beginning that. of all of that. So. Don't worry, I know that too. Uh, <laughs> that's we'll, a, we'll that's another yeah. next year. <laughs> that's another podcast. So anyway, so I while I was listening to the album today, I kept wondering. I was like, why is this even on here? It's so random to me because it's Dolly Parton. Considering all the other songs that are about you know love and all of that you know loss. Mm-hmm. Well, the, so the opening track on the record is another cover of an Ario Speedwagon song. Is it? Do really you know that? Yeah, time for me to fly. Oh, Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> You're so weird. Y'all are leading me perfectly into the other thing that I want to talk about. Yeah, and White Limousine, the song, also just terrible. I mean, really, mm-hmm. really. Bad. Yeah, it's really awful. Yeah, it's... Yellow Roses though, she wrote that by herself. That's all Dolly. Which okay. I thought was a bold choice, considering she's not from Texas. To just, like, claim this yellow rose for herself. Mm. I mean... But it was about lost love. I know, but... Again. I mean, when you think of yellow rose, what's the one thing that comes to mind? Well, Texas. And she's a Tennessee girl. Okay. Loud and proud Tennessee girl. You're right. There was a place in Houston called the Yellow Rose of Texas. It was a bar. It was, it was right, right down by our house. Did you go? No. It was next to the place that I worked at. Did Dad go? No. I don't believe you. We were in high school. We couldn't have gone. That... Mm. Well, that Dad, never stopped it. Okay, Dad might have gone. I don't know. I didn't ask him, <laughs> but it would have been weird. But yes, you're right. Yellow Roses, but it's a really catchy tune. Mm-hmm. I mean, you start, like, the chorus is just really repetitive mm-hmm. and easy. I know you like repetitive oh, lyrics. I do. So <laughs> one time, way back, this is a complete digression, but we're going into it. Pandora, as you listen to things and thumbs up and thumbs down certain songs, it'll start to tell you what elements of songs you gravitate towards in different genres, but also different just elements of these songs. And this was way back. This is at least 10 years ago. When Pandora started. Right. And at one point, it was like, Haley, you love repetitive, simple lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Were you you listening to lots of worship (laughs) stuff at the time? Yeah, this is when I was still in my Baptist high school. So, yes, yes, 100%. For sure. Makes a whole lot of sense. Okay, so the other thing that I want to talk to you all about today, like I said, you've already sort of led me into it. So, Sherry, right when you came in, there was a facial expression that you made that I am very familiar with from Haley. <laughs> Uh-oh. And so I want to talk about this sensation that exists for all of us of turning into our parents. Uh-oh. Um, oh. I'm <laughs> sorry. You- <laughs> well on my way. I'm so sorry. Let's, let's hear about it. How so? So 
growing up with the one and only Sherry D over here, Mama Sita, Dumplin, all the things. So I'm an only child, mm-hmm. and my parents were pretty young when they had me. So I often tell people that we grew up together, and of the three of us, I am the most mature, <laughs> which um, is mostly true. It's pretty pretty dang accurate. With that being said, I adopted a lot of the traits of both of my parents because I didn't have any other siblings to play with or whatever. It was just me and mom and dad all the time. And upon taking every single personality test known to mankind, (laughs) my dad and I are the same human. Like carbon copy, our brains work the same way, our hearts and souls like are identical. Reactions. Yeah, just the emotional mental side of things is the exact same. But you put me and my mother in a room And socially, we are the same human. Our mannerisms are the same. The way we communicate is the same. We look very similar. People get our names confused all the time, which was only exacerbated when we worked together for four years. Right. We operate through the world the same way. And it is alarming at times. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I'll catch myself thinking and doing things like you. And, I mean, today, coming in here to talk about Dolly Parton... So, again, also very into personality tests. My mom's an Enneagram 5. She researches everything backwards and forwards, up and down. There's no detail that she doesn't know. And we'll tell you unnecessary facts about everything that you really don't need to know. She will. Hey, we're having a trivia night that starts in just a few weeks. You should get in on that. Oh, my gosh. Be on my team. I don't know. I can't remember anything. I can research it to death, but I can't remember. It'll all all be June 1989 pop culture trivia. I'm on it. There you go. You're not on my team anymore, though. Rude. I mean, if you're going to forget stuff. Well, I mean, like, we can work on this. Okay. We can do some drills. Finish your thought. Sorry. She researches everything. That is not my inclination, but I have adopted that. And now I feel completely unprepared walking into any room without having done, like, graduate-level research on a topic. <laughs> and, I mean, someone will mention something to me in passing, and the next time we're together, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I spent three weeks talking about this and researching it and looking into it and da-da-da-da-da, all this stuff. And that is 100% a Sherry trait. Yes, it is. And then also our so. hands are the same. And we, like... <laughs> Yes. Move our, I wish you could see us both gesticulating wildly over here. Yes, totally. <laughs> I, I feel like I've imprinted on you very, I mean, very well. 100%. So how do you feel, Haley, about the fact that you are turning into your mom? How do I feel about this? It's mom. Mother's Day weekend Yes. when we record this. So think very carefully about how you answer that question. I honestly love turning into my mom. I have grown up admiring my mom for many different traits of hers. She is very strong. She is hilarious. She is always put together. She is so thoughtful. And I would be honored to be exactly like her. Wow. Wow. There it is. It's very humbling. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. I don't need any gifts. I mean, they're all in the car, so I can go return them. No, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take them, but that's huge. That's a huge gift. need them. I mean, I I could use them too. Okay. Well, maybe we can share them. Okay. Since we're becoming the same. That's right. So, Haley, you mentioned offline, Sherry, that you have a Kenny Rogers story. So Kenny Rogers was obviously very tied to Dolly Parton, especially at this time. Let's hear your Kenny Rogers story. So in my family, we love Christmas music. We're huge Christmas music fans. I listen year-round. Yes. Well, (laughs) usually it starts around Halloween for me is when I'm able to start plugging in. Haley has made that a sooner date and it, it's one. a little hard for me to get to September but for sure October I have watched Home Alone this week just so you oh, know oh okay yeah you did yeah. well okay so Christmas I mean it's a sacred thing in our family yes. and we go all out all this kind of stuff and Santa Claus lived a long time in our house 
And that's another story mm. for another okay. time. We're going to have to do a Feeling Christmas podcast. There's attacked. <laughs> personal issues here. So we're driving around. I think, I want to say you were like in middle school. That's generous because I think I was in high school. You might have been <laughs> a freshman in high school, maybe ninth grade. I mean, I it was on the cusp of. I middle- wasn't driving yet. Right. So you're in the back seat. Christmas music is blaring loud, much to my husband's dismay. He does not appreciate Christmas the way that we do. Mm-mm. And Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers song, mm-hmm. A Christmas to Remember, comes on. Not to be confused with Amy Grant's Christmas to Remember. No, no, no totally different. different song. Also and, great. <laughs> you know, before I could actually change the station and kind of think, I don't really like, this is not my favorite song, Haley starts belting it out, like word for word, singing it at the top of her lungs. And I remember looking at her going, what are you doing? This is random and weird. And why do you know all the words to this song? And I didn't have an answer. I mean, we didn't have the Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton Christmas album. It just, it was in me. It, it, was, was, a <laughs> it was a part of me. Yes. <laughs> written on my heart. Right. It's just funny. It's just a funny thing. And it's like an awful song. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, is at 14, 13, 14, you knew all the words. And I knew that it was Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. And I did not come from a Dolly Parton household. Mm-hmm. I have grown to love Dolly on my own. Absolutely. Totally separate. Like, Dolly has never been played in our house. Which ever. Really? I, wow. I'm a little uh, mad. it's in a movie. Right. Steel Magnolia's 9 to 5. That was always happening. But we weren't listening to it other than that. Which I still kind of hold against you. But Man. we'll move forward. Southern Baptist. That's all I got to say. He's alive. Well, I know. But I didn't really remember that she <laughs> sang oh that. So. Get out of here. Like, whatever. <laughs> Ooh. Well, you know, we have Steel Magnolias coming up later in 89, so yes! you'll have to talk to Zach McKenzie <laughs> if he's going to let you be on or not, because he uh, he is very excited to be a part of that episode. It so. is the best movie it of is all one time. Of the best. As of this recording, I have never seen it. What? So, I mean, <laughs> if I ever get married... I will see it before that episode, but I have not yet. <laughs> there are some classics, and I mean, I think Shirley MacLaine and um, Daryl Hannah, wow, but Dolly Parton and... Julia Ch- Roberts. Roberts. Whoa. <laughs> Lots of Julia's in my head. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing movie. I mean, also, like, my wedding colors will be blush and bashful as a result of that movie. Absolutely. And that's not even what we're here to talk about, but it was so good. Well, and your dad will be outside shooting birds. I have birds. no idea what you're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, so wait until you see it. It's a great, it's a great movie. <laughs> so before we sign off for the episode yes. this week, we are announcing the winner of <gasps> our An Evening with John Cusack tickets. <gasps> what? And I just thought it would be fun to get to tell that person in person that they have won the tickets. No. Haley, you have won. No, John Cusack. yes, that is so awesome! Oh my gosh, I'm so yes. excited! So oh, it's actually my word. you know this is Mother's Day weekend. It's happening on Father's Day, so you're gonna have to really pray about who, who to take with you. <laughs> I'm gonna really pray about it. Maybe know. I'll put Dolly do on in the background. Do you think Dad likes John Cusack as much as I do? <laughs> That's a good campaign, Mom. I know. Especially on Mother's Day weekend to ask right. you that. You're, oh, yes. That's your, awesome. Uh, your so winning good. review says, oh, what a riot this podcast is. Truly the perfect combo of humor, nostalgia, trivia, and just plain fun. Can't wait to devour even more episodes. Thank you for leaving a five-star review. Of course. We're going to do lots more giveaways, so hopefully folks will follow your lead and go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Totally. And win more stuff. I'm so excited. Wow. Congratulations. Thanks. Indeed. Thank you both for being on today. We look forward to having you both back in the future. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. While Still Magnolias was still a few months away, there were some notable film releases 30 years ago this week. 
As I mentioned at the top of the episode, the incredibly well-cast but horribly executed quasi-musical sci-fi rom-com Earth Girls Are Easy, starring Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, Jim Carrey, and Damon Wayans, released this week but didn't make much of a splash, although it has, for reasons beyond my comprehension, developed a bit of a cult following since. Despite what my friend Nate would have you believe, this movie is not worth revisiting, even for a laugh. One movie that is worth revisiting, though, the film that topped the box office this week in 1989 was the Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder comedy See No Evil, Hear No Evil. I hopped on a call this week with the biggest Gene Wilder fan I've ever known, my ex-brother-in-law-in-law, Greg Jackson, to get his thoughts on the movie. Here's our conversation. Greg, welcome to 30 Pop. Such a joy to have you on today. Well, thanks for having me. Man, so 30 years ago this week was the release of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor's third film together, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. And you're the biggest Gene Wilder fan I've ever known. So I had to have you on. That's true. I am. I can't deny that. <laughs> Tell me about your fandom of Gene Wilder. How did you get to be such a fan? I've thought about this a lot. I was a very anxious child. <laughs> I was afraid of everything, uh-huh. and I was pretty conservative in the way I expressed that. So when I discovered Gene Wilder, which I'm sure it was Young Frankenstein, and then later Willy Wonka, it was his ability to be so conservative and then switch and have his glorious rage mm-hmm. and his phenomenal scream and then go right back to the way he was. I think that's the ultimate thing that made me latch on to him. Yeah. I loved that expression. I loved the way he could express himself and just be completely without shame. Yeah. That's so true. He has like this incredibly calming presence when he's trying to. And then right. he's just like manic the rest of the time. So <laughs> Exactly. The blood vessels in his eyes are about to burst because he's so angry and then go right back to calm. How old were you when you saw See No Evil, Hear No Evil? Did you see it when it came out? I don't have a memory of seeing it in the theaters. I would have been 10. Okay, <laughs> surely not. <laughs> I feel like the second it was available... I'm going to say I probably saw it a couple of years later. Yeah. But I was already a huge fan of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I was watching Pryor's stand up by the time I was six, which is probably not a good thing. But (laughs) I had his acts memorized by the time that movie came out. So that's amazing. I was really excited about that. It's funny. I rewatched the film last night and I hadn't seen it in years. I remember seeing it as a teenager too, but even that, I'm a little surprised I was allowed to watch it. But rewatching it last night, I really expected going into it to be like, man, this is going to be really problematic. They're taking (laughs) the idea seems so problematic, but they actually, I think they do a really, really wonderful job. Okay. So problematic. Looking back at any film, you need to now in this, in any area, you probably should have, but now we're looking back and saying, okay, what's available and what was wrong with that? Now with this film, you've got a couple of them. The very first one is, yeah, the premise, if anyone hasn't seen it, is that Gene Wilder is Dave, he is deaf, and then Richard Pryor is Wally, and he's blind. They get into a murder mystery, they're accused of a crime. But with the title, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which is cute, you think, are you going to constantly be making jokes about the handicap the whole time? Yeah. And you're right. The way I originally remembered it was, yes, that's probably what happened. But no, they're the heroes. They are the ones that 
they found each other, and now they are empowered, not held back at all by their disabilities. And they do these things that society says and norms say they can't do. Yeah. They are doing the superhero crime-solving thing. They're driving, they're shooting, they're getting in fistfights, which is yeah. excellent. <laughs> yeah, so in that way, if you look at it, it's very empowering. I would be interested to hear if someone with those disabilities, <laughs> what they think of this film. Yeah, I would too. You know, I went back and I expected to find some sort of controversy around it, but I did some research and I found at least one interview with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder where they talk about sort of the work that they did on the front end to make sure that they didn't offend anyone. And so, or just that they could play those parts authentically, you know? And so like Gene Wilder spent six weeks at a school for the deaf and Richard Pryor spent two weeks at a school for the blind to like really learn and experience what it's like to live with those limitations and to sort of honor that in the way that they played the characters. And I just think that's so cool that they did that. Oh, absolutely. That shows the craft that this isn't just a money grab for them, that they are taking it seriously enough and they don't want to offend. If it were just for cheap laughs, they wouldn't do it. They didn't have to at that point. Yeah. The other thing, there's a story that goes along that Braille Institute did not approve they were going to get proceeds from this film. They were going to give charity for disabilities. Mm. The Braille Institute said, no, no thanks. We don't even want your money because they were offended by the language. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they weren't offended. <laughs> yeah, they weren't. They were offended because, they, you know, there are F-bombs all over the place, which is another oh, reason I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did not have a problem, though, with the portrayal. It was the language. Yeah, that makes sense. It's one of those things that when I watched it last night, I was like, I don't remember movies having this much language like that in them. I mean, I remember right. he was having bad language, but I mean, Richard Pryor was just like, he was on another yeah. level, man. The late 80s, early 90s, there was a freedom of language that you don't see today. Yeah, but I mean, the film holds up, man. When I watched it, I like there were multiple times watching it by myself that I laughed out loud, and I just, I didn't expect that. I expected to be kind of cringing the whole time of like, oh, I can't believe they did that. But like, you know, there's even this sort of subplot of, you know, both of them came into this limitation late in life. So they were born sighted and, you know, with hearing. And mm-hmm. there's this sort of subplot of Richard Pryor having already done the work of accepting his state and yes, his, his, not letting it affect him. His mantra. Of- yes. But sort of empowering Gene Wilder to do the same thing, to sort of accept what's happened and live into it. Yes. But at the same time, they're both trying to pass. There's a shame even in prior that he is trying to pass. He reads papers mm-hmm. upside down, which is great. Yeah. He does not want help. The pride is a huge thing in this movie for both of them. Mm. And they at the beginning they do see, even though prior saying he doesn't, they do see their handicap as a weakness and something to be ashamed of. Yeah. The whole full circle is at the end where that is clearly not an issue. They are empowered. Yeah, and they show it by dumping ice cream on each other's heads. <laughs> that is so sweet, too. <laughs> it really is. Unintended. It is really, those moments, this is why this movie is worth watching for me, is these two guys, like you say, this was the third of their fourth film. Their chemistry is undeniable. You can see why they became a comedy team for a mm-hmm. short while, was because when nothing else is going on and they're just sitting together and talking, that's when they shine, both yeah. of them. And there's a happiness, an inner glow from both of them that you really 
I, I appreciate that because you just don't usually have the time to see that in films. They skip past that. And yeah. for this movie, there's a couple of moments where they just cut everything else out and say, let them talk. Yeah. You can just see the very authentic friendship that they had. Yes. Yes. I love it. And yeah. the other, if we, we got to go back to problematics, we got to mention, you know, Spacey's in it. Yes. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. <laughs> And, and a very plays, odd character. There's some odd choices there. Yeah. For some reason, he has a bee sting or a, a polyp or something yes, like that. Yes, that's so weird. <laughs> I've never understood that. It's never mentioned. <laughs> I feel like it's a deleted scene, but maybe that was just something they went with. It was a choice. But now you have to say, okay, is it okay? Am I supporting him by supporting this? I struggle with that all the time. The, sure. Is it the art of the artist, you know, kind of thing? Uh, I grew up a huge fan of Woody Allen films and the fact that now I feel guilt. I saw Louis CK live four times. Now I can't Mm. stand the thought of him, but with this, I feel like there is a, if it's before the point where I know it, like anything after that, I feel like I can't support it. Anything before that, I'm still probably going to, unless it was really. Yeah. I mean, I wrestle with the same thing. I mean, I was rewatching parks and rec recently and, when Louis C.K.'s on there, I'm like, oh, that was such a great character. And that was sort of my introduction into him. And it's just like, man, where did that guy go? You know, but I don't want Kevin Spacey and his creepiness, especially when he's the villain in the film. I don't know. For some, for some reason, it feels better. <laughs> if he was the hero, I would feel differently probably. But like, he sort <laughs> of gets his yeah. in the film. And so I don't want that to outweigh the tremendous love that I feel for Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your love for Gene Wilder. I definitely want to have you on the show as often as possible. Once I come to your town. Absolutely. Yes. Let me thank you for anytime I get to talk about Gene and, and I could go on, this could easily be a two hour conversation. So I'm yeah. being very kind. cutting this off. <laughs> I'm slightly obsessed with any movies in the eighties, nineties, especially if it has someone I adore in it. Yeah, man, understandable. He was wonderful. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I can't wait to uh, hear the rest of this. Thanks so much, Greg. All right, thanks, sir. Greg is such a great guy, and I really do look forward to having him and the Durrett girls back on in the future. Huge thanks to all of them, as well as Nate Williams, for being a part of this episode. Before I sign off, one more notable event this week in 1989. For those of you who, unlike me, cared deeply about professional football, the birth of Carolina Panthers quarterback and potential future Hall of Famer, Cam Newton. Happy 30th, Cam. If you're listening, please click on the Patreon link in the show notes and help me do this for a living. I'll give you lots of fun bonus content in return. Friends, as always, thanks so much for listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It's a joy to produce, but wouldn't be nearly as fun if you weren't listening. Also, thanks again to my sponsors, Robin Morton, CFP, and the fine folks over at Truly Horrible Things. You'll find links to them in the show notes for this episode. If you're in the Houston area, remember to mark your calendars for June 12th at 7 p.m. We'll have our very first 30-pop pub-style trivia night at my home away from home, Cafeza. And be sure to listen each week until then as you'll get answers to several of our first round questions in those episodes. For example, this answer, 22 innings. I'll be back next week with episode 14, but for now, in the words of Dolly Parton and REO Speedwagon, it's time for me to fly. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Prawner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. 
check out more shows from Mill You Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>